podcast. I'm your veteran, Donnie. And time. I'm your neophyte, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> Today we're taking a look at Degrassi, The Next Generation, Season 4, Episode 9, Back in Black. Uh, before we get too far into this episode, quick content warning. We are going to be talking about the aftermath of the school shooting that took place in the last two episodes, as well as discussion of ableism, uh, violence. There might be some mild discussion of racism because of there's some weird stuff happening in this episode, as well as some discussion of parental abuse. Uh, to help us through this episode, we have a very lovely guest whom we've had the pleasure of talking with before. Please give a warm welcome to Pierce. Woo! Yay! Hey! Happy to be back, y'all. Thank you so much for, for jumping in on this one. It's really appreciated. I, I love the very random episodes that, that uh, come my way. Uh, this is very funny. But also, they're all Sean episodes. Uh, although not, although not, yeah, which is also funny. Although, like, also, when I say it's very funny, I don't mean that the content of this episode is funny. Because it's, like, a, a, uh, a weirdly very intense episode, even though kind of nothing happens. Yeah. No, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, so, I, I can't remember, Pierce, if it was you or one of our other guests who was the one who, after we recorded, said the words, wheelchair Jimmy. <laughs> yeah. Oh. It might have been, it might have been me. It might not have been me, because I don't think I would have referred to him that way. <laughs> but but also, that sounds like a thing I might have said. I don't know. It's not great. Um, it was just part of the, it was such a part of the lexicon of the Degrassi, like, fandom at the time, and yeah, for a very long time. Well, um, yeah. because I had no idea this happened. It was well, just still wild to me, but go on. Like, um... Yeah, I feel like it's the most famous thing about Degrassi. Yeah. I, I knew nothing about it, like, <laughs> and then, like, all of a, all of a sudden... When that happened, I remember just all the different guests saying little things and just, like, adding up. And then, like, I remember, I like I said, it was either you or somebody else being like, wheelchair Jimmy. I'm like, that's what this is. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wild. I So, obviously, I did not go back and watch those school shooting episodes because they're very intense. And I, I think they were on a lot, like, when I was watching Degrassi. So. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't, I don't have them super fresh in my mind, but I also like, don't, I get it. <laughs> like, I know what happens. Um, but you, weirdly, I don't think I ever saw this episode or at least not the whole thing, or I just completely forgot it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, which I, I feel like anybody could be forgiven for forgetting this episode because I do. Oh, I have to explain the A plot and the B plot. Right? Yeah. Don't I have to do that? Yep. I did not cue okay, you in. Cool. It's okay. So, Sorry, uh, sorry to jump the gun. You know, I'm a I'm a vet over here. It's true. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, a plot. Sean is dealing with the aftermath of being called a hero, and uh, at first he kind of thinks that that might be a cool thing because all the girls are talking about him, even though he's dating Ellie. Um, but he is just like, oh, this is cool. Like maybe I'm popular, and then he sees that his mom has has done an interview with like the TV station all about how um, how sad she is and if, how sad she would be if she didn't get to see Sean anymore uh, because something had happened to him and he finds that very disingenuous and he gets angry 
And so him and Jay and uh, and Emma and Ellie uh, go on a road trip to uh, Wasaga Beach uh, to to where his parents live, to where he was born. Uh, and they and he confronts his parents, and then they go to the beach. And uh, Sean's sad a lot. Uh, and then he eventually decides he's going to stay there because he can deal with his trauma better there or something. I don't know. It's not really clear. It's a weird choice. Uh, we'll get into it. And then the B plot is that uh, JT and uh, – oh, I forget the other kid's name. Toby. Or Danny, are you thinking of? No. Danny. Danny. I always forget Danny's name. Uh, JT and Danny are sort of shunning Toby because he was friends with Rick and was sort of like – didn't stop this from happening or sort of like, you know, he's Toby's conflicted because he's trying to be like, well, he was like a fucked up guy. Like it happens. Like it's not, you know, he's not a monster. He's just like messed up, which I was like, Oh, it's like interesting, uh, an interesting path for the writers to choose for like one character. But ultimately because Rick was his friend uh, Toby is like, uh, well, I'm going to go to his, to, to his funeral, to his wake. Um, and, uh, nobody's going to go with him and Manny kind of befriends him about it and, uh, calls JT out for being a jerk. And then JT and Danny, uh, end up accompanying Toby to, or they show up a little bit after he shows up to the, to the funeral to show support for their friend, uh, who is showing support for his uh, and, and JT says, like, uh, you know, I'm very sorry for your loss to Rick's mom or something. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. It's... Uh, this is a weird-ass episode. Yeah. So, wait, where do we want to start? we want to start with the A plot or the B plot? Let's start with the B plot. It's literally, like... Three scenes. Yeah, it takes a very long time to kick into the B plot of this episode, which I feel like happens a lot when um, Degrassi does these... Aftermath episodes, it feels like they spend a significant portion of the first part of the episode kind of just checking in on a bunch of characters, which we can talk more about during the discussion of the A-plot, but generally, like, the the vibe of the first part of the episode is just kind of like, it's mostly Sean, but it's also, like, flashing to different characters who were involved in different aspects of what was going on. Um... I guess technically the first smattering or like the first moment we kind of get relating to the B-plot is actually a scene in, in Snake's classroom. And it's um, Snake kind of doing like one of those like unfortunately very common things that teachers have to do in this day and age, which is just like a big contra like a big disaster or tragedy happened and now we have to talk about it as a unit as a class because if we don't then we're being irresponsible as adults um yeah i i was thinking about that scene is uh is is he qualified to do that regardless of if he's qualified unfortunately it's a part of teaching nowadays and we've seen this before we had the very, you know, enlightened uh, racism talks during um, Heritage Day. Yeah. And oh, like, right, yeah. The thing is, is like, it's weird because it's like, whether or not teachers are qualified about it is like really not a discussion I think many people really have. Or if they do have any training, it's very like slapdash, like literally like an hour and a half on like Columbus Day or some shit. 
And it's just like... Right. It's very hard. And, like, I feel like it's one of those things where as a social studies teacher, um, I personally tended to have the skill set to be able to navigate that type of discussion. But that's also, like, not because of how I was being trained in the school itself, it was just because I, as a, like, person who studied history, tend to be able to talk about these things a little easier than your math teacher, usually. Not saying a math teacher can't. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's just, like, one of those things where, unfortunately, now, you know, usually it's, like, the, the principal sends out an email, like, right after the news comes out, and it's like, be prepared to potentially have conversations with your kids, here are some resources, but also, like, you're the front lines! So, yeah. So Snake having to have this conversation with the kids is not uncommon, but the questions that Snake receives or, like, the kind of the thoughts that are happening within it is really difficult, especially because it's, like, you have three people who are directly involved in some way, shape, or form in the room in that moment. You have Craig, who, witnessed, who like, walked in on the thing happening. Mm-hmm. And... His position is, he's very angry, you can tell, he kind of carries his anger in the way that he's talking about things. Um, when Snake says, like, you have to report something if you see that, like, if you notice that kid is beginning to spiral, he asks, like, basically, are we just kind of just snitching on each other at that point? You have Toby, whose perspective is, you know, what do you do if a kid is being bullied? What do you do if nobody is listening to them? To, to them? Like, how are you supposed to actually help somebody if nobody's actually going to take it seriously and then finally you have spinners sitting like leaning up against the wall entirely 100% complicit in what ended up happening yeah right um and uh just to put this into context because this is only really mentioned during the a plot Mm -hmm. um is Radish is saying this is not, it's not a normal day of school. Kids are just coming in to talk and kind of, like, get things off their chests. Yeah, it's kind of like that, like, first day after a tragedy at the school is open. Yeah. So so, so how, how many days after is this? I don't know, because it kind of... It's not clear. My, my guess is... Maybe they said what day it was during the, what day they, the they, show they was. They said they're still talking, they're still writing about us even after the weekend. So my guess is the shooting probably happened. Okay, so here's my thought. The, the brain drain show that was going to be on a Friday to be as, as undisruptive as it possibly could. Um, so then that happened on Friday. School, like, school's out for the weekend. They come back on Monday. Um, Damn. I have a question for the two of you. Mm-hmm. Do you see, unless otherwise stated, that like episodes of Degrassi are, are like consecutive days? No. I don't. I see them as, as blips. As or, like, like, or at least consecutive weeks, since that's how the show would have come out originally, right? I don't. I, the time feels so amorphous. The thing is, is like the time is so amorphous, and later on in the series, they actually do start following a very sequential order of things, and like they are, they actually do establish time. It almost feels like this is so amorphous, and then later on, they realized how it was. My assumption is that every uh, every episode is um, preceded by a time jump forward or backward. 
Oh, you think some of them are backwards, too. Like, one happens ten years in the past, another one happens ten years in the future. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> and each time they're just hoping some, that's they're gonna go to school. That's some X-Men shit right there. And I'll get them okay. home. <laughs> oh my god. I'm sorry, this, this episode <laughs> didn't really interest me. <laughs> well, it's. I think it's a shame because I think that it's trying to potentially ask some pretty tough questions of, like, what to do after a tragedy. Because to me, even as a writer, I think that, you know, being able to write the tragic thing is a skill, right? Like, it's not... It's not a horrible thing to be able to do. It's 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 nifty to do it. But as a writer and as a creator, I find the aftermath to be far more interesting. Yeah. And they just kind of seem to bungle it. Yeah, like, honestly, they, they've handled serious topics before, and each one felt like a touchdown. This one felt like the quarterback spiked it, spiked the ball into the huddle. And they're like, woo, we won. And they're like, uh, what? <laughs> it's very peculiar because it's like Toby... So we got some of the tension established in that classroom with Snake, especially about Toby's perspective and how, like, you know, he he's trying to take a more empathetic position and a lot of, and, you know, he's getting some resistance from it. And it truly becomes notable at a later scene at the basketball court where Toby just kind of tries to saunter into JT and Danny playing basketball, um, you know, kind of grabs the ball and goes to join them. And JT's like, uh, and takes the ball away from him. And Toby does the whole, like, hey, I got this new, I guess, video game it was. Like, you know, let's hang out and play it. Um, and... And JT's like, I'm trying to cut back. Like, that's something right. that, like, 14-year-olds are doing is cutting back on how many video games they play. I love I love when it becomes very obvious that the Degrassi writers are very old. <laughs> I feel yeah. Like there were, like, one or two moments so I, in this episode. They definitely, like, I think that that's the thing that sort of makes episodes like this, like, not really ring true, right? Is when characters speak like adults would in a certain situation mm-hmm. and they don't necessarily like react it but they but they sort of like they they like overall react to a thing like a kid would right because i think jt's reaction is accurate right the idea of like oh well i can't be friends with you because you were friends with that guy i'm like that's fucked up but yeah the way he speaks to Toby sometimes is just like, you sound like you're 45 years old. Right. Yeah, I think that... You know, and it's just so weird. Um, I don't know. It just gives everything... It, it makes it so weird, especially when it's coupled with like what's supposed to be like teenage soap opera. Like, mm-hmm. you expect a little bit of like heightened whatever, but then also you kind of, uh, to sort of stick with the B-plot, like, you get Manny's like... Uh, well, uh, yeah, I shouldn't expect you to be the bigger man bit. Yeah. Which is like innuendo and isn't wrong to say in this situation, but it's just such a weirdly specific, like, like, oh, are we doing a Seinfeld joke in the middle of this? Like, what's happening here? I feel like I don't we... know. there's a lot, there's a big clash of tone in, in, in the writing uh, when they're tr- trying to do one specific thing, but they just kind of don't know how to get there. Yeah, and I feel like the age, I don't know, I feel like the age of the writers becomes very obvious in JT and Toby, especially because it's, like, the humor that they use. It's just, 
very antiquated it feels like like the like I, but i've said this before like jt and toby feel like relics from another time in terms of the archetypes that they are like they're these kind of like especially in season one like they were infuriating and i think a lot of the reason why they were infuriating is that they were a perspective that just was not ne is not needed in teen media at this time these like kind of like gross little gremlin boys who have like no remorse and like to just sexualize women left and right and all of the and all of that and like yeah they've grown you can make the case for it but it, it feels like they're still they've always consistently to me like read like they were they were the kids that I did not feel like I knew all the other kids on Degrassi you for the most part you can make a case of like they feel familiar and like almost like you saw them in the hallway almost like they're there are kids that maybe you heard your friends talk about. Like, there's a familiarity to them. And JT and Toby just kind of feel like these weird... And I think, like, Danny gets this to a certain extent. I think um, there's another character that kind of go gets added to this group in general. Like, they all just kind of seem like these weird, anachronistic types of teenage boys on this show. Dan Danny feels like the Minotaur. And I think... Danny feels like what? Danny feels like the Minotaur of this show. Ugh. And then I'm just like, why are you here? <laughs> it feels like Danny is there because Jimmy's not on for a little bit. Ooh, that's so grim. Well, Ooh. it's it's not it's not a it's it's not a thing I'm happy to say, but no. like he he doesn't really speak either. Well, I mean, here's the thing, or it could just be. I mean, we've discussed and we heard from Andrea Lewis about the racism of the writing staff on this show. Um, essentially, just every group of friends gets their own black friend. Oof. Oh, oh my god. Yeah, hey, well. Paige's group gets Hazel. Mm -hmm. JT and Toby and, by extension, Emma and Manny get Danny. Um, and then... Spinner and them get, get Jimmy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you know, I never really, I never did like a one for one for the, on that, but yeah, I guess that that kind of tracks. Um, because I, I but it's clear also that the writers just like don't know what to do with him, so they're just yeah. like, I don't know, you're there playing basketball, don't worry about it, kid. Yeah. Um, and I also looked up. We have a new writer on this. That might be why it's also incongruous. Mm -hmm. uh, Miklos Perlis. Oh. So. And Aaron Martin, the main writer. So I don't know what was going on in the writing room that week. Um, <laughs> so anyway, JT and Toby get in an argument about, like, Toby's like, I didn't know what was going on. Um, or, like, you know, Toby's like, I was there, JT. And JT's like... Um, you knew what Rick was like, you knew what Rick was like, and you were still his friend. And Toby responds, I didn't know he was going to bring a gun to school, and JT does not believe him. Oof. Which could be an interesting plot line, honestly, of just... I mean, I don't, I don't really hate that reaction, right? That kind of, like, makes... I guess if you're, like, if you're angry, I see, I see your thought process getting there. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, like, that's what I was about to say. It's just, like, this could be an interesting plot line where people suspect Toby of being in on it and or possibly helping. And he's like, I had no part of this. Like, I'm being right. unjustly accused of this. 
And instead, it just goes this completely different direction, where it's like, it goes to an area, I, I don't even know what they're hoping to accomplish with this B-plot, like, um, because our next bit is, Toby is looking through all the memorial stuff to, um, Jimmy, um, and he, uh, also, does not appear to be in the transcript. Give me a moment. <laughs> oh, here it is. Um, Manny's like, wow, Jimmy has a lot of friends. And Toby points out that, like, a lot of them are strangers. Mm-hmm. Um, and makes the point, all these people care about Jimmy, and nobody cares about Toby. Um, and Manny wah, wah. Right. Manny tries to comfort him. And Toby's like, I have to go to the wake. They call it a visitation. And Manny's like, what about JT? And Toby's like, what about him? God. The drama. I mean, listen, I, I've definitely, like, had, like, weird fights with my friends that were not on a similar situation. Like, obviously not in a similar situation. But, like, you know, fights with friends of mine where other people were like, why the hell are you guys fighting? This doesn't really make a lot of sense. It's just like, I don't know, fuck that guy. Like... Uh, I actually, I kind of loved Manny in this episode. I thought she was great. Uh, except for her pants. Did oh. y'all notice her pants? I did not, but... What, what's wrong with her okay. pants? Please tell they're me about her pants. Okay. They're so low-rise that I was like, oh, God. Oh, God, no. Oh. Like, okay, okay. You know how pants normally have, like, there's where the belt is... And, like, the button, and then there's, like, something of, usually on jeans, there's, like, a zipper, right? Yeah. Well, imagine if you just got rid of where the belt goes, right? And then you took, like, another inch off. And then you got rid of where, you got rid of the rest of the zipper. And it was, like, just kind of stitched together. And I was just like, I don't even understand how these are staying on you. Mm-hmm. But 2004 fashion is a blight against humanity. 100% agreed. I was just like that, like, like you. No, somebody should have not let you buy those or let you leave the house like that. She should have just your tiaras. She should have just bought a pair of Jenkos and cut them in half and just been able to use those two pairs of pants because that's what Jenkos were. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 the, like, you know, I mean, obviously, storylines with Manny uh, are are uh, problematic in their own ways, mm -hmm. but it's also like, uh, given all of that, you think like. I don't know. She just like dressed normal again, but then like it seems like the costumers are just like I, you're just gonna, we're just gonna have you and like like as scantily clad as we can have you. Weirdly, uh, it's very strange, uh, and it's also very weird because the way that that whole scene is shot because she comes up from behind Toby, it, there's like a uh, her like midriff is like in the frame. And I was just like, who shot this? Like, I understand, or like, who blocked this? Because, like, I understand that Toby's, like, kneeling down. But, like, just have her stand off to the side or out of the frame or something. I don't know. It's just poorly, poorly shot. The, th the thing about her wardrobe is I like to think that Manny is coming back into her own of owning her sexuality and owning the person she wants to be. Because the wardrobe was her decision. 
That's true. Like, she was done being cute and adorable. She just wanted to be hot. Mm-hmm. And she has, you know, every right to do so. And, like, I... And now that she's, like, f- like free of Craig and his nonsense and free of JT and his worst nonsense... Well, I don't really know. Um, like, now maybe she can finally just be happy being Manny. I agree. I think, uh, and I think that watching this when I was 15, I was like, hell yeah. And watching it now at 30, I'm like, oh no, put on a winter coat. <laughs> it's a, it's a weird. I want to, I want to protect you. It's, it's so hard also because it's like, I just don't, at this point in the game, it's very hard to tell how much of it is intent or not. And, and like, kind of like, what, what are we supposed to really like pull from that, from her aesthetic? Because it's, like, I feel like the argument can be made that, like, this is her still trying to, like, reclaim her sexuality, it, or claim it, rather, rather um, and all that type of stuff. But also, is it just, like, wardrobe being weird and gross? I don't know. I'm so suspicious all the time. I'm very suspicious, especially that, especially with a show with, like, main writers who are men. Mm-hmm. Who, and, like, and also that, like, I don't know, I mean... It, it's not like inaccurate for the time period. No, not at all. You know, I, I, and I'm not even trying to say that like she shouldn't dress like that. That's how girls dress when I was, you know, 2004. Hell yeah, I, that yeah. No, I don't know. That that's accurate. Yeah. Um, I guess I guess it's uh, I've I've sort of had this conversation about about other media. It's like you know when you watch something, you're just like, oh no no no, it is not for me anymore. Uh, because even if I have nostalgia for it, it's just like, I, I understand this is a thing like not aimed at me. Yeah. Um, uh, Degrassi, when it, I think when it, I think as an adult, when it starts to deal with like teenage sexuality stuff is where I start to go like, Oh, I definitely don't need this. And I definitely, I don't even need to interact with this in a, in a way. I mean, that's kind of the right answer, right? (laughs) Like. I, I mean, it's not, I, I, I don't know. There, It's just like, it's just like, I get this, it's of a time. And now as like an adult, adult, I'm like, now I understand all the adults who were at the time were like, put some clothes on. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, that, that's what I mean. I, which is terrible. And like, you know, kids should be able to figure out their shit on however they need to. Um, but like, I, I just get it in like a protective way. I'm just like, no, I don't know. I'm not explaining myself very well, but, uh, it's definitely one of those things where you're just like, oh, I understand what the, what the, uh, audience for this is. Mm-hmm. I think I'm beginning to get it. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not articulating this point very well. Um, other great wardrobe choice though, uh, in this episode uh, was Marco's t-shirt during the mask thing. Oh, very The true. only time he appears. Yes. His, uh, I think it's a Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon shirt. It very well may be. He has some really good graphic tees the past, like, two seasons, and I'm delighted, but also they all look like they come from, like, the same corner of the kids section that every trans mask person shops at, I say, as a trans mask <laughs> person shopping there. Like... Just putting it out there. The one with, like, the rainbow dirt bikes. I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you went to Macy's. Oh, yeah. 
and went, this is what I want. I feel like there's one of those that's like an astronaut in rainbows, too. Yes. Yes. Another one. That's like burned into my head. Another one from the collection. Um, Yeah. But yeah, so, I don't know. I I feel weird about Manny in this episode, but also I think that she's suffering. This whole B-plot in general just feels so painfully like it was written by adults. Mm -hmm. I mean, this whole episode is like, it's just... It's a, it's so much. I, there's so much. I, I think that this episode uh, doesn't it doesn't know how to be more nuanced than it is. Yeah. So we just get a lot of really weird scattershot stuff, right? So right. we get like Toby just like I think actually the B plot in a weird way is kind of stronger than the A plot because Sean is a character who's, like, been through so much. Not to jump to the A-plot, but mm-hmm. uh, but I guess I am, sort of. Like, the B-plot's pretty straightforward, right? Toby is like, uh, oh, Jimmy had all these friends and nobody cares about me. And Manny's like, well, what about JT? And, oh, I have to go to the thing and JT hates me. And then Manny goes with Toby to the, to the visitation after she calls out JT for uh, not being a bigger person and, you know, har-har, mm-hmm. dick joke. Right. Um, and like, and then, and then JT and Danny show up also and kind of come around and, and like, that's it. Pretty, pretty nice bow on it. It's a little frustrating that Toby and JT don't have a conversation at any point after the fact, after he makes that decision. But it also feels like something that could happen in the future or might just happen like off screen and that's fine. In the A plot, it's just like, Sean is a character who's like been through, so much nonsense at this point on this show. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's really like he kind of feels like the the dumpster for like complicated things that we're gonna not delve deep enough into uh, sometimes. And so like he's now dealing with like having having you know or feeling like he's killed Rick, right? Mm-hmm. And and he's handling this in. Terror, like I, I don't know, like in very weird ways, he just drives away for two. Like they go on a two-hour-long road trip, so it's gonna take two more hours to get back. I, I don't like. I thought that was crazy. I was like, two hours is like that's pretty far. Um, but also just like, despite his like pain, there's like no reflection really yeah. until he like apologizes to Emma. And that's it, really. And that has sort of nothing to do with what the hell's going on. I agree. It's very, like, there's a hollow aspect to this episode, which makes no sense in comparison to the two episodes prior, because there was so much emotion and so much tension, and, like, there was all of these feelings. And in this one, it just really falls flat, because I feel like it also goes into the B-plot, how flat this whole episode is. So they go to the visitation... You know, Rick's mom embraces Toby, and Toby's in, like, a big, complicated thing. Literally, the only good part of the episode is when JT appears, and the mom asks if he was friends with Rick, and he swerves out of that question. I thought that was probably the most emotional, like, most nuanced moment this whole entire episode, was JT refusing to say either way about his relationship with Rick. Like... Uh It was legitimately the most interesting part. Um, And JT, like, the way that he 
he phrases it at the end, it's just very baffling. It's very confusing to me because it's like, we were talking a lot about in the shooting episode how there were these flashes of of a certain type of, of, of it going against, like, the very common narrative of the time of, like, be nice to everybody, because if you're not, then maybe they'll bring a gun to school. And... Yeah, you never know who has a list. Right. Which and, is so dark. Right, which is, like, incredibly dark and not productive. And, and JT kind of, like, takes that viewpoint in the visitation. Like, his rationale for, for going is, like, basically, like, we gotta prevent tragedies from, like, this happening... And it's like, the only thing that's going to prevent this is gun control. Like, I don't understand. Like, I understand, like, the show is not going to go, like, that hard into that aspect of it. And, and, you know, like, fine, whatever. But, like, it just is this weird kind of backwards thing. Like, you spent all of this time showing how Rick had very little to no remorse. And the complicated feelings associated with it are actually worth talking about, and Toby's plotline could have been a really insightful, interesting exploration in, like, what do you do when someone you know is a bad person? Yeah. How do you process that, and how... Because, like, Toby's situation is is interesting, and we see this play out in a lot of places, a lot of spaces, where you find out that somebody is not a good person, um, and, you know, if you're not connected enough to that person, it's easy to just shut it off or move away from it or, you know, let go. But if you had a relationship with them that is remotely positive, then there's a lot more complicated feelings and that wanting to, you can't, it's hard to just shut that off. And Toby's perspective could have been two things, right? It could have been, I let this person in, I was relatively close with them, then I found out that they did this horrible thing and I don't know how to feel. It also could have been an exploration of, like, you know, am I, like, you know, I saw Rick do X, Y, and Z prior to this. How, am I complicit? Because, like, it, our relate the relationship he had with Rick was that weird, like, kissing marathon or the way that he cornered Terry in trying to get, like, he kind of cornered Terry in kind of played with her while he was trying to hide Rick's identity about the secret admirer. Like, yeah, remember? You mean Darcy? No, back when yeah. Terry was trying to find, oh. when Terry was trying to find out who was putting roses on her locker and Toby was doing the, I don't know, am I, type bullshit. Oh, fuck that thing. Like, not to like, you know. Uh, so wait, do we think, do we think Rick is a bad person? Yes. Yeah. Uh, like unequivocally. Yes. Yeah. That he's not. That he's not. Like simply. Like so. He's like. An, like he is objectively evil. That he is not like a product of the things that have happened to him. I mean, my argument with Rick is, I'm a big. Be- I do believe in restorative practices. I think people can, you know, on paper, whether or not every single person can do it. Every single per like, you know, in theory, people can be able to figure out how to take accountability for their actions and be reintroduced to a community. The thing about Rick is he was going through the motions of going to therapy and going through the motions of doing things what we would perceive as the right way in a restorative sense. But whenever he talked about it, it was very much like, I did X, Y, and Z. Why haven't you forgiven me? Yeah. That's true. That's true. Uh, I, I, I don't, 
it's been a minute since I watched a lot of the episodes that involve him, so mm-hmm. that was not a that was more of a general question, not a having an opposing view question. Yeah, no, um, I think a lot of times in shows like this, because they have that sort of soap opera aspect, mm-hmm. they uh, they tend to have villain characters because they need to have villain characters. Um, and especially when you can kill them off, you don't ever need to show them have any sort of redemption. Um, so, yeah. No, was, in, I was just interested to hear your take on on Rick. Yeah, it's, um, it's tricky because also it's like, are you opening up the, like, you know, also he is still a teenager, et cetera, et cetera, but I feel like the fact that he, there's, there, there is this, this degree of like, I don't know, just the way that he perceived how he was going about his recovery and how that, the because he was what he perceived as being in the process of recovery entitled him to Forgiveness was the inferior mm. piece. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think I think that's why it's interesting though that they use that like they have Sean do what Sean does, right? Because I think that Sean is a character that for so many uh, fans, you could like make the argument that Sean is also a bad person. Yeah. Like yeah. and so to sort of. Now we get to see sort of not a Rick who has survived and done a good thing, but we get to see a character who's in, I guess, like similar straits, right? Where Sean is resistant to, he's resistant to like the the group therapy session that's going on at school. We know that he's like sort of resistant at at all times to um, ways to solve problems and his own problems and he as as we've already seen in, in past episodes, like tried drinking as like a way to cope with things, and tried all these like sort of ways to uh, get around things. It's 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 interesting to see him sort of get a redemption arc, but it's almost like the cost of that redemption arc is also that like he's still in the same place that he always is, which is just like he's just saddled with more trauma, mm-hmm. and like. In a weird way, the writers are, are are almost kinder to Rick by just, like, never having to have him go through any of that. And, and Sean just becomes this, like, repeated emotional punching bag. And I think that that's what makes this episode very boring, is, like, we've seen Sean staring off into the middle distance before. You know what I mean? Like we get it. He's tortured, you know, like, mm-hmm. and this is just one more reason that he's tortured. Frank, you said you, you looked like you had something to say. And just the thing with Rick is just like, like, I'm out. Um, Dahlia, I feel like, um, like Sean, Sean is a person who comes basically from nothing, but still manages to be... Not, I wouldn't say he's a good or a bad person. I, well, I mean, like, you can't really judge people in that. Like, Sean is a work in progress. 
Sean is a trauma response. Yeah. Tra- Sean's every behavior is a trauma response. He's, we, he's just kind of trying to survive. We see, we see Sean steal a laptop from somebody in receiving cancer treatments. But then he confesses his sin and tries to make up for it. We see Sean um, get in a fight with Jimmy and push Emma. And then he tries, like, he admits he was wrong and tries to make up for it. Like, we just constantly see all these things of Sean fucking up, but then he tries. And he keeps trying. Rick, on the other hand, did one of, like, did some, like, Sean, Sean deafened a kid in one ear. And exiled, was exiled from Wasika Beach Fort. Rick put Terry in a coma and comes back to school with absolutely no, no, seemingly no punishment. Like, he never mentions he's doing community service. He's, his only mention is that he's taking therapy. And then he just demands everyone, like, accept him and um, forgive him. Like, Rick is privilege. Mm-hmm. Like, Rick believes he sure. des- deserves this stuff. Sean's fighting for every inch he can get. Like, and maybe that would be easy if he wasn't hanging with fucking Jay all the time. Yeah. But, like, Sean will make up for the shit he does. Rick won't. And Rick didn't. Like, and no, Rick does not say, I'm sorry, what I did to Terry was terrible until he is at his last legs. He, yeah. He had every chance to be better, and he didn't take any of them because he didn't feel like he had to. And that, that, for me, is the difference between Sean and Rick. Like, Sean is responding to trauma and doing his best. Rick is not doing anything. And then just... I have a question. Yes. Do you think that they have to, if you're, like... You have to imagine that, that having a school shooting episode, especially, like... You know, Degrassi starts in what two thousand, two thousand one. This 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 run of Degrassi, right? Yeah, two thousand one. I think. I think. Mm-hmm. So I mean, we're already like post Columbine at this point. Mm-hmm. You have to start this show knowing you're doing a school shooting episode eventually, right? Yeah, we, we discussed that. You, I'm sorry. Like, oh, I'm I'm sure you guys covered this in the last like two episodes you did, but like, do you do you think the writers mm-hmm. went? Well, we have to make this guy literally the worst. Well, that, that was another thing we did discuss. Is just like, uh, if it was anybody else, it would have felt false. Like, if it was Toby or Sean or somebody else, it would have just... Well, it would have complemented the idea that people snap, right? Yeah. Like, you, like, the thing about, like, the profile of these types of people, it, it's a pretty consistent viewpoint that is held and a pretty consistent behavior pattern. If you have a character who was not originally intended on being capable of something like this, not even to say they were going to go to a school shooting room, but if you were like to have a character that you, you have been told for three, four seasons is a protagonist and an overall good person and then suddenly, like, you know, they do this about face and do something that vile. It, it's, 
it just wouldn't be a very convincing story. Like, it, it just becomes shock value and not really a, a lesson to be learned. Um, for further reading, for further reading, please see season eight of Game of Thrones. So wait, but also too, you know, I actually think that this episode sort of gives us an insight into Toby kind of being like, I sort of get it. Like, yeah, understanding where, like, all the things, as the person who most understands Rick, for better or for worse, that's not a great, that's maybe not a great thing to say. I mean, maybe he doesn't really understand, because Rick definitely, like, lies to Toby, right? Uh, yeah. Because, you know, Rick's been shown to be this manipulative person. The, the, but Toby feels like he at least can understand Rick a little bit. I actually think that there's a way that you can do this plot line. One, without anybody actually getting shot. Two, without anybody dying. And three, with it being a character that we know, understand, and can sympathize with. I agree. And that's and that's to Breakfast Club it. Well, they already did a Breakfast Club have, episode. Right. Well, but I mean, like, to have Toby bring in a flare gun. Hmm... Like, that's why Anthony Michael Hall's character is in The Breakfast Club. Because he brought a gun to school. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that was during... It was a different era, though. Yeah, that was the 80s. <laughs> like, sure, but what, I guess, I it, guess it, what I'm saying, though, is that, like, to, I think it's a way to at least draw a, a similar... Um, to, to sort of draw a similar uh, uh, draw similar attention to an idea without like man I don't know I, I think the thing that I think about most when when sort of going back to this is like this is the part of Degrassi that I least want to go back to because it's one still so prevalent mm-hmm. and like I know that it goes there but man really did not have to go there <laughs> well I, I I honestly feel like they couldn't not go there. Like, they... Some, like, sometimes I feel like, um... Considering, like, it was, you know, it's still an epidemic, it was an epidemic then, like... Even if, even if it's not happening in the, like, in the, like... Sorry. Like, yeah. you, you have viewers who might not be quite able to wrap their heads around it. You know, like, this is something we use movies and books and TVs for, of just like, oh, I don't quite understand this huge thing, so let me make it personal by showing you a person's life in the middle of it. You know? So, like, you can read newspapers and hear all these statistics about a number of, like, you know, gun violence and all that, but until you see people you know, and I feel like having watched, if you're watching Degrassi at this point, you know these kids, you're not going to kind of get it until you actually see it happen. Also, Degrassi is an issue-based show, right? Yeah. Like, it's not going to... It's, 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 it occupies a slightly different space from some shows where... I think there are some shows that I would say, you know what, a lot of shows I would say, books, etc., be like, mm, maybe this maybe this is not the way to go about it. Like, this is not necessarily a productive way to go about it. 
But Degrassi is very issue-based, meaning that we do have a lot of episodes that are devoted toward the act, like a, a bad fucking thing that happens and the emotional fallout from it. Like, there are no very special episodes of Degrassi, because every episode's a very special episode, except for Drive. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> but it's Yeah, true. yeah, I mean, I guess I, I, I see that. I guess, uh, I guess when... I don't know. Some of them are not really very special episodes. Cause some of them are so like relationship based, which yeah, you know, I guess for teens is a very every every day is a very special episode, right? But like it's a shenan- but, like, There's shenanigan episodes. Well, like when I'm getting more is like this is this like Degrassi is its own entity. I've learned that through four seasons. Like <laughs> Boy Meets Boy Meets World would constantly try this shit. They have an episode where Sean or somebody. One of them joins a cult. What? And it's it. Nope. Well, yeah. I'll I'll post. Yeah, that's the thing. I'll post the a very special episode YouTube video about it. Hello. Um, it's where this the hot teacher. Um, that dude. I've never watched the show. Okay, uh, he's like a young dude, like whereas motorcycle gets in a motorcycle accident. It's super fucking weird at the end. Yeah. Um, oh, but fuck. But like, when shows do that, it seem kind of farcical. Yeah. Like, it's just, like, a kid trying on its dad's clothes, and you're just like, oh, that's kind of cute, but you don't kind of understand what it means to do this thing. Degrassi, I feel like, is the only show that could do this and do it well. Um, and I feel like they did for the most part. But, like, and, that, gonna... and going back to the flare gun thing, I feel like if that was what it became, that would that would become the farce of mm. just, like... Yeah, we know this is serious, but we don't kind of want to, like, dive into it. It would come off more like they were uh, trying to avoid it or lessen the blow of it, especially after four seasons in which you have kids dealing with pretty intense shit. The first Explicitly. E- the first episode, Emma is, like, you know, nearly assaulted by a pedophile. Yeah. Like, and they just hit that gas and they just kept going. And sometimes the car is just flown off a cliff, but, like... Then they sometimes write it. So, like, I don't think you can kind of go back from there and be like, no, it's not as serious. Mm-hmm. Especially in this time period. When everything, like, when this is such a serious topic. I, I guess, uh, no, I see where you're coming from, for sure. For sure. I, I mean, I guess I was just thinking of it in terms of, like, like, I don't know, like, as a giant Boy Meets World fan, aside from... <laughs> any of, like, I, I don't know, like, Sean's dad dies on that show. But, like, none of the kids die. <laughs> and so, like, to have, I don't know, even to have Rick, who is an objectively bad character, right? Like, he's he's not, like, a, a bad character, but uh, an evil character, right? Like, who, who serves the purpose of fulfilling this evil uh, in the world of Degrassi, which, as you said, is totally its own thing. Um, and, uh, like, I don't know. I... I wonder sometimes if it's when it's um, even in, in a show that is so, um, you know, ripped straight from the headlines, kind of realistic. If there is sometimes some power in exploring the metaphor of the thing and then rather than the thing. Right. Because I think that, like, at the end of the day, you sort of don't really care about Rick. So, like, the fallout of that his side of the story kind of doesn't matter. Right, it's about how that affects like Toby and Toby's relationships with his friends. 
it's about how that affects Sean and Sean's relationship with his friends. It's obviously about how it affects Jimmy and Jimmy's relationships with his friends because we care about them more. But it's like, I guess for, uh, uh, I, I guess I'm looking at this a little bit with like 2019 goggles uh, as opposed mm-hmm. to 2004 goggles where I think like now we're having um, uh, much more serious uh, discussions about mental health and 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 maybe being even more realistic about mental health than we ever have before, and about depictions of mental health, kind of on 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 television. And uh, this is not to let Rick off the hook again, and he's an asshole. But like, there's more to what that character is. I think that is interesting that they don't ever really touch. So I almost sure. think to do a storyline like this would work even if you're doing it even if you're like kind of dialing it back and you're not having anybody die and you're not having a real gun get brought to school um that like you know even it's a flare gun in a locker or something you know with but with a character who you've like who you think you know who you think you understand who you have an an understanding of that like yeah, that can feel sometimes like a little bit of like a jumping the shark moment. Um, but at the same time, I think for all the characters, it could be. Imagine like all these interactions of Toby with JT, and JT's like, but you brought a gun to school. And he's like, I wasn't think like, wait, it's, it's so much more complicated than that. Like, because it would be, you know? I mean, and I, yeah, I think it still is in this context ambitious. as well. I don't know. I think TV in general with sort of very special episodes always has a tough time. Uh, and and in Boy Meets World's defense, I thought when they got to college, they had a very special episode, essentially with uh, Topanga, one of her professors, that I thought was uh, well handled. Granted, have not watched it in a long time, so maybe it's not stand-up. Um, but... I think once in a while, and sometimes when you just live with characters for long enough, you'll at least buy that, like, stuff happens. I don't know. It's... We're, uh, we're talking uh, in weird abstract and not really about the episode at this point. Um, yeah. But I, I don't think that this the whole school shooting thing was necessarily poorly handled. I think I wouldn't write it this way now. Yes. And I wonder... Has there been a show that's, like, like Degrassi that has handled this? I don't really think there has been. I mean, there's been, like, bad ones. Like, I mean, 13 Reasons Why, I think, eventually has gone in this direction. But I do stand by the fact that... Right. But I do stand by the fact that how this... How Degrassi handles this is... The best way to kind of approach this plot, I feel like, ultimately, is it is a point in a timeline and how this is being discussed. And that's the only way that I think we can conceptualize it. Because I've, I've had this complication that you've spoken to, Pierce, but I know other people have had this complication, too, where it's like, there's so much happening in it. There's parts of it that resonate at 2019. There's parts that maybe aren't quite accurate in 2019. And it's because the way that, you know, the scope of things has changed significantly our understanding of the topic has changed significantly. And it's it's just one of those things where it's kind of like this this episode, I feel like this episode really exemplifies how it is so in between. Because it's like on one hand, you do have some of these complicated questions being asked. You do have these the profile, a more contemporary profile kind of happening with Rick. 
but at the same time in but at the same time it it, it kind of flubs it in places where it's it's just really hard to to definitively like say yeah this is good yeah this is bad because ultimately it is a moment it's almost like a historical uh, document I, at this point i'd agree with that i i think that yeah totally i think the trap i keep falling into is that I, I want more nuance from these characters when I'm watching this show now. And, <laughs> no, I feel and that. Degrassi, and, and Degrassi's like never going to give it to me. Right. And, and, I, and like that's sort of the frustration of it is going like, oh, the bones here are pretty good, but it's like the way you build the rest of it out, like just, oh, it just doesn't super work. You know, um, and I think it's actually very interesting that like we sort of don't really have a show like Degrassi. I mean, I guess there's still new Degrassi, right? But like, not no. anymore. Degrassi is, is it? Oh, it's over now. But like, Frank, it's just like you said. It's like Degrassi is just its own thing. Like it is itself. Like it's like it's it's its own Ouroboros of a of a thing that's sort of like it will decide when it wants to interact with the outside world and bring Kevin Smith and Taking Back Sunday into the show. But like. <laughs> If it doesn't Spoilers! Sorry, the Taking Back Sunday is really I funny. Know, I keep forgetting that you know nothing about what you <laughs> say during the show. But, but, uh... Yeah, what are you going to reveal to me next? But, that they they go face-to-face boy, with Def Cat for Cutie in an American Gladiator-style arena? To, to, to be fair, to, to be fair, to be fair, you don't know the context or those, those things, but also you've already seen that Drake video. Yeah, I was confused about why Silent Bob and Jay were there. Anyway, don't worry about it. Forget you ever... Don't worry about it. Dealing, uh, dealing just cut, weed just to cut snake. It, just cut it out oh my god! And you won't even know. Um, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I have to stop. I have to put 2004 goggles back on when I watch right. the show. Got I think, um, I think you I think really need them for the time, it was like a little bit revolutionary. You know? Yeah. It's, it's hard because I think that the 2004... I, I rarely say we should put on the 2004 goggles, especially because I feel like that's almost like a cop-out, right? Like, media should still be scrutinized. That's why critique exists. That's why podcasts exist. That's why, like, all this type of stuff exists. But I think it's very important in this context. Well, yeah. I mean, that's... Well, Piers, I, I, I hate to keep playing this card, but Piers, how old are you? 30. Okay, so you're three years... Because, like, I was saying last week, like, Donnie's seven years younger than me. I, you know, we I think we both kind of went through school at the same time. I was 18 when this episode would have aired. And just, like, this episode... I was a week away from my 16th birthday. Yeah, like, this would have rang really true for me, like, watching this episode. And just thinking, like, oh, shit. Like, this is everything I've been afraid of for the past, like, three years. Um, so that's, like, when I, like, this was me in high school when, like, when we're watching this show. So, but, um, yeah, like, you can't, uh, we can't look at this as 2019, because 2019 is an entirely different style of writing. It's an entirely different style of show. Mm-hmm. Like, Degrassi's doing its best, and, like, from what I've heard about 13 Reasons Why is, like, I feel like the, the tragedy... Like, knob on Degrassi is set to a very precise area. Yes. Of just, like, between over-centralization, over-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense-sense
sensationalized. Thank you. Um, and, like, <laughs> the dull soup that is very special episodes of, like, you know, popular TV sitcoms. And then 13 Reasons Why, like, took that dial, turned it, like, three times, 360 degrees, snapped it off, and threw it away. I mean, not to invoke... Oh, yeah, it's like, what if something is... What if everything is terrible all the time the worst way that can possibly be terrible? Yeah. Right, not to... want to make you cry. Not to invoke, um... Uh, a cursed phrase, but it's very like 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 the difference between something just being like kind of sad and like it just being sad stuck. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean that's like that. Susie and I tried to watch Euphoria for our um, for Teen Girl Talk, and Susie's like, none of the women have any agency on this show. Like the way they portray addiction is terrible, and we just couldn't do it. Like yeah. See, that's wild. I've heard that show's awesome. I've heard both perspectives. What, I, it's legitimately depended. What kill, like, my, um, the, the person who, uh, my friend Samantha, uh, Allen, who wrote the book Real Queer America, points out that the trans character on that show is not only, like, one of the best trans characters, but also might be one of the best characters in TV. So I'm just like, is there a way I can just watch those scenes? Um, but, like... Somebody will make a YouTube compilation. But what really kills me is that, um, I found this out only recently, we watched, Susie and I watched this movie called The Wrong Daughter, um, uh, it was a Lifetime movie, mm-hmm. um, and there oh, was, no. and, like, this, these two girls in foster care, like, the real mom tried to get in touch with her daughter, Samantha, but this other daughter, this other girl named Danica kind of swooped in and, like, stole her life and I'm just like and then I found out she like her name the actress is Sydney Sweeney she was on the wrong daughter and now she's on euphoria <laughs> I'm just, it's all connected I'm just like how she wrote Rose so but I mean yeah I'm glad she's probably getting more money now yeah she wasn't bad on like the wrong daughter but her the mom on that was, like, won our biggest asshole of the year award. Oh. Because she was such a jerk. Like, she's like, I know I, I, I'm i opening a restaurant, and I'm still going to try and get in touch with my daughter I gave up, like, for adoption, and then I'm going to make no time for her. And we're just like, Kate, you asshole. Awful. Fucking awful. So, but anyway. On that note, I'm kind of talked out on this B plot. Are yeah. we ready to start the A plot? I'm a, like, here's the, that's the thing. I also feel like we, we, we sort of we sort of jumped into the yeah. A plot a little bit. I yeah. mean, let's just pull some things. I mean, I think what it comes down to is I've been thinking a lot about Sean as a character, and and I think the thing that bothers me the most about Sean is if you need to have a like mentally ill white dude, there have been other series that has been able to do it better. And like, I understand that this is almost like a trope at this point, right? Like the wounded, broody, white dude. Like, that has, like, clearly has mental illness and is not being taken care of. Like, you know, like, it, it, let's face it. It's like, why do people like Tim Riggins? If you're playing the new Fire Emblem game, why do people like Dimitri? Like, why do you like, like, why do people like these characters? I get it. I, I understand the appeal. But, like, I feel like... You leave you leave Tim Riggins alone. I love Tim Riggins. And that's what I was about to say. I love Tim Riggins. I, I love Dimitri, as anybody knows about me. Quick Google search on who Tim Riggins is. <laughs> well, you haven't watched Friday Night Lights yet. We gotta start our Friday Night Lights podcast. I know! Oh, my God. If I was on a Friday Night Lights podcast, I'd just cry every single episode because I'd get so emotional. Uh, 
you know what? I think actually in a weird way, and and Frank, if you ever watch Friday Night Lights, you can contribute to this discussion more, and I, I, so I'll keep it short. But uh, I think Friday Night Lights is actually the better version of Degrassi. I agree. I would venture like, to say yes. Like this, like like when you age out of Degrassi, you are you become like the perfect age for Friday Night Lights. Yes. Um, and I and I and I think that because Friday Night Lights has a lot has a, like a lot more, um, it still has like the uh, very heightened Degrassi drama stuff, mm-hmm. but it it downplays the soap opera elements just enough that it feels like a little bit more realistic. I also um, feel like it has such good aesthetic. Yeah, that too. I mean, it has a really good, weird um, uh, framing device because of the because fo- the yes. football weeks give you like a so Frank just to and, and for any listeners that don't know that have never watched Friday Night Lights, it's about football. It's about like football in a small town. But it's so um, good. And uh, and it's about these like kind of disparate characters who are the coach, the the quarterback, uh, the former quarterback, the the fullback and, and all these characters who are like connected in different ways. And so all of their plots, just like Degrassi sort of intersect and overlap. It's very rare that you get an episode that doesn't feature at least like all of them yeah. um, because they're so in it. But at multiple points through the, uh, because games are always on Fridays, it'll literally be like Monday. This shit happens Tuesday. This happens Wednesday. This happens. Um, and we like learn more about the characters and, and things. Uh, it, it, has a, a, a brief, terrible season two because of the writer's strike, that. but it picks things back up. The, the, the thing is, like, I didn't come from a football town. Um, like, so... I didn't either. I didn't either. <laughs> so the thing is, like, I just... When I see these people caring this much about fucking high school football, that really turns me off. But it's different. So, like, let's... I, I watched it's, three... It's I watched, really about... I watched three really episodes. I forgot that you watched three episodes for a episode... For an episode of Teen Girl Talk that I would have crushed, quite frankly. I'm like, I, I forget <laughs> why we didn't do it. I think we just like, I don't have anything to say about oh, this. You should just let me go off for two hours. It'd just be me in, in your bedroom with a mic. Me just crying and doing this really, like, frantic talk about Friday Night Lights. Anyway... But in all seriousness, bringing it back to this episode, Tim Riggins, you know, <laughs> I, I adore his character for many reasons. He's a complicated ki- kid. He's sort of. He's very he's Sean. sort of an evolution of Sean, though. He You're is. Right, yeah. He is. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. He is kind of like what I think, what Sean should be like. And and I think the thing with, with, with like, Riggins is, is like, he... There's just, you see how it, it's almost like this weird thing where it's almost like, it's so hard to kind of put into words because I feel like the words that I'm going to put are not the best, um, but I feel like... That's this, fun, I did, that, I did that earlier this episode, so... I think the thing is, is like, it, it's not afraid to have Riggins lash out in an interpersonal way that just is like, it just kind of feels like with Sean... Yes, he stole the laptop, but it almost feels like they never want to quite go all the way with Sean in terms of, like, making... Like, it's almost like... It's like a weird, like, kind of push and pull where I feel like Riggins, like, he's in it. Like, Sean never quite feels as in it, as, like, lived in as Riggins does in terms of his, like, actions. And it almost feels like 
And I think this could have been done well with Sean, where I feel like with Sean, the writers are kind of all over the place with him. They're not quite sure, like, how far they can go with him. Riggins seemed very much like they, they knew how far they were going to go with him, and they were going to just push that character as far as they could. And with Sean, it feels very timid. I think that's what it is. Sean is written very timid. It's like they want to have him be this, like, traumatized boy who is inherently good but cannot, but, you know, sometimes loses his way. And instead of it really reveling in the gray area that a character like that is, like Tim Riggins, it just kind of becomes very noncommittal. Yeah, and I think that we see that in the relationships that Sean has, right? Like yes. the girls kind of kind of dote on him and sort of see something in him that maybe he doesn't see in himself. Uh, I mean, in this episode specifically, you know, so he gets to school, he sees all the girls kind of like talking about him and he's sort of into it, even though he's like, you know, with Ellie. And, uh, and uh, you know, then like later on he comes into into uh, Snake's class and Emma's there and, it's also and so she gives odd. him a big hug and he's just sort of like shell-shocked by kind of everything mm-hmm. and he doesn't really show too much emotion until he sees his mom on TV and like is and, and then sort suddenly sort of gets sent back to that sort of angry brooding place where he's like oh okay I guess I'll go there so I can deal with it um it's like and a yeah I, I don't know it he feels so half baked sometimes and I yeah. get that some of that is like oh he's been through so many things and he's sort of figuring it out and he's like and he doesn't know what to do so he like makes these impulsive decisions but I almost feel like him going by himself would have been like more effective than him going with his friends right if he had isolated himself gone to go see his family because I don't think any of the interactions that he has with Jay or Ellie really even though they do the I love yous um, or or even Emma even though he does apologize to Emma it felt like that could just happen next episode you it could have been a phone call like, too I feel yeah I feel like Sean just doesn't get to figure out who he is outside of people very often. And I know that that's a little bit of what Degrassi is, right? Is that the mm-hmm. characters sort of get paired up, paired off, and like Toby doesn't really get that so much either because mm-hmm. Manny shows up and they have that talk or whatever. But, but like, I think there would have been something really powerful to see a different storyline with the kid he deafened and him and his like, guilt over maybe killing Rick. Uh, or feeling like he did, you know, like, it would have I, been I know that we do this a lot where we do like, oh, this is how I would have written it. But it does feel like, uh, like, I really wish Jay wasn't in this episode. I really hate the making fun of the, the half deaf kid. That was a uh, bit uh, terrible. Unforgivable, um, honestly. Like, yeah, and it sucks like nobody says anything about it, too. No. Right? Like, well, nobody's gonna Ellie, say anything, Ellie right? is just, no. yeah, of course. But, I mean, it's just, like, Ellie's just kind of there. Emma's just kind of there. They do such weird stuff in this episode, burying themselves when they're wearing clothes. That bothered the like, shit out of me! They're, it, it was so strange. Like, you're gonna you're gonna get it in your underpants, and that's not gonna be a fun time for anyone. No, but else you have to drive two hours back home. And, and okay, so I, I just want to cut 
I don't think we're gonna go through this episode. No. Like, I just want to cut to some of the weirder parts of it. But before we get to that, to speak to the isolation piece, Pierce, this episode should have played out kind of like the Mexico trip episode of Friday Night Lights. Where, yes. where you have, for, for those of you at home that have not watched Friday Night Lights, a character isolates themselves and runs off to Mexico to get a probably very bad idea surgery. And once, like, once that is being, like, once that is being figured out, suddenly, like, his friends are now involved in it. And it's a very, very good good moment that I think hits a lot of similar beats to this episode, at least what it's trying to do. It even features a character kind of just, like, you know, ending up in the water and having, have a distressing rescue scene and things like that. But I think the, the I think the thing about Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. I love this. I love Friday Night Lights. But, um... Yeah, I think I'm gonna rewatch it right after this. Hell yeah. But, like, I think that's kind of the, the issue with this, where it's, it's this... Once again, it's kind of almost like it just feels like there's this timidness to how they approach Sean. And I think the timidness a lot of the time kind of goes into this idea of Sean should probably be a person, at least he comes off like a person, who they're they're trying to create this type of arc of him in which he, he almost accordions between being entirely isolated and then codependent on people. He needs yeah. to have a family and he needs to have a unit. And he doesn't know how to negotiate that because of the relationship that he has with his family. So you see him have Ellie move in with him. You see him become very close with Jay because Jay takes a shining to him. And and it's never really talked about in that way of like, hey, who are you when you stand on your own? It, it's like we infer a lot of it. And I think that there are some attempts at it. But ultimately, it never quite goes into that uncomfortable space almost as if the writers are apprehensive to be like they they can they can say that Sean is traumatized but they are very apprehensive to say Sean is mentally ill and and I think a lot of it kind of comes down to that where they're like look at all this bad shit that happened to him but they don't really confront how he behaves as like a manifestation of that like trauma response yeah and I mean really the closest they get is Emma saying maybe you should see a doctor yeah like a doctor, like being really amorphous about it too. Yeah, and and yeah, which is and it's so interesting that they're so shy about that because they clearly go all the way with a character like Rick, right? Like, right. and other Rick characters have gone to therapy. Story, yeah, like, but Rick sees his storyline really played out to the obvious end, I guess you know you could say. Um, whereas, whereas in the aftermath, it seems crazy that they don't that they don't push characters to to their limit sort of especially after something so traumatic that you should see um something like that and it's and it and it also rings very false to me that uh for a character who felt rejected by his family uh and i guess this is like a little bit of like queer narrative uh read of sean even though i don't think he's a queer character but we, we abandoned um, that headcanon back in season one. <laughs> yeah, but what I mean is, like, that, like, uh, uh, stories about found family are always, like, a, a near and dear to many queer people's hearts. Yeah. And Sean's is a story about found family. 
Um, yep. And so it, it, it honestly, the end of this episode just rings so false to me. Yeah. Because, yep. because, because the, at no point, at no point do I say, oh yeah, Sean who feels betrayed by his birth parents is going to go back to them to handle this, like the, the, right. the hardest thing he's ever done in looking for belonging. Like, right. I, I have no idea what's going on. The, and honestly, that, that was like the most infuriating part. I understand trying to like get that closure, but I thought it was going to like double down on. And I think this is because I forgot the episode because I hadn't seen it in so long, but mm. I was like, Oh, he's going to be like, Oh, right. This is why like, I'm happy. Like I'm upset that you, ditched me but also i found something better and that's why i'm not going to turn out like rick and instead it was like nah i think i gotta stay here i, I had to stay like Ugh. i had to stay in the corrosive unhealthy environment i left right and like the thing is is like this isn't it, it's also peculiar because it's not like an ellie situation right like where ellie her divide from her mother is so precarious, right? Like, Ellie is a type of character that I would believe would end up back home because it is so difficult. There is this kind of... The relationship dynamic between her mother and her is is codependent. It's... There's this kind of, like... I I could see... You... you, She has complicated feelings about it. Ellie is a... um enabler or had been for a while by keeping things going yeah and the thing is with enablers is they they gain some purpose from it and they're going to keep doing it and they're always going to hope it's going to change but like they'll fall back into old habits exactly with sean it it it's very odd because number one like he was i he was away from them for a while number two if he was to go back to somebody it would probably be tracker Tracker was the closest familial structure, and for the most part, though he was very prickly and not always the best, does not give off the vibe that Sean's father does, who, by the way, was so impersonal, I kind of didn't really realize he was his father. I, I thought stepdad. I thought he was a stepdad situation, because he the way that he looms over Sean's mother and crosses his arms and everything, he came off very much like shitty stepdad. I mean, like, you hear them... Oh, yeah, totally. You hear them yelling at each other to get the door, like... Mm -hmm. I don't... (laughs) I don't know, like, just the whole thing... um, And the thing... Okay, and here's the other thing, is, like, Sean is, what, 16, 17? Yeah. They say they have not talked to their son in four years. Right. At the youngest, he left that house at 11. Right. At the oldest, he left it at... Like, 13. Right. And, like, the the thing that really got under my skin, and maybe this is because I am in a... I don't have connection to my family right now for various reasons, is the way that his father was like, you didn't say anything to us. And that pisses me off, because it's not the responsibility of the child at that point. Yeah. That is on you as the parent to open up that communication. That's what a fucking adult does. That's not the responsibility of a kid who was potentially 11 years old at the time of... Leaving. In the words of Bobby from Supernatural, kids aren't supposed to be grateful. This is where you eat your food and break your heart, you selfish dick. But, like, that's the thing. It, <laughs> it, it's so entitled, this, this viewpoint that his parents maintain. And regardless of if it's in character or not, 
it sets up a very scary precedent for the teenagers that are watching it because there's very possibly kids who are having issues with their parents who are contemplating not, you know, not, like, you know, contemplating separating from them, contemplating at the very least, like, disconnecting as much as they can from their parents. And then you have this character who, it's true, we did not know the full story with Sean. They always were kind of ambiguous, which once again kind of complements the whole, like, kind of flightiness of how they were writing him. Um, but in the case of, of this whole entire situation, it was bad and it doesn't look like the structure of the home was going to be any better or any more productive for him. It's not, you're not going to fix things with one conversation. You're not going to fix them with one conversation, but also if you're going through something truly unfathomably tragic, like what Sean has just gone through, like why are you going to add more trauma to the fire? It... (laughs) It, it just, and it just feels like they, they like... They just wanted to get rid of him. It, it, because I think he was pursuing <laughs> acting shit. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's other ways to do that. He could have gone back to Tracker. Yeah. Period. That's it. He did I understand, like, maybe, maybe you know what it could have been? He takes the fucking car, he goes to a Sega, he tries to see if his parents are still the same shit, they see that they're the same shit, he has a phone call or something, something that establishes that he's gonna go up to Tracker, and... Don't even show Tracker. Just have Tracker. Uh, just have him go up to like whatever Tracker's fucking house on the oil rig is, and the door opens up and Sean goes inside. You, you could have just done like. Um, yeah, I, I agree completely with that. Like you could even just have him have a phone call. Yeah. Like, and he just he does the because spe- like, as much as I don't like this episode. Like, and I don't like it a bunch. I'm, like, already contemplating that this is not going to rate high. But when Sean breaks down with his parents, that is some fucking stellar acting. Like, yes. Well, I think he, in general, is a good actor. Yeah. I think the writers don't give him enough. Yeah. But the thing is, it's just, like, everything about this just leaves such a bad taste in my mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the fact that he just is just like, my found family can go fuck themselves. Right. Ellie, who has gone through, like, you know, they've been going through it together. Ellie's alone Fuck now. off, Ellie. Yeah, Ellie's alone now. Right. Like, and also, like, okay, I'm glad that he apologized to Emma. Emma was really fucking weird this episode. Emma was completely superfluous. You did not Emma need was, Emma. Emma was superfluous, number one, but the opening scene of her, where, like, Snake is trying to check in on Sean, and as he's checking in on Sean, Emma, like, runs in crying, and then, like, she stops crying, and, like, as Sean stomps off, he gives, she gives this look to Snake, and, like, I don't want to assume the intent was to make it that she was, like, fake crying or anything like that, but it almost came off like they were trying to ambush Sean into getting professional help. I mean, yeah. Or, like, having a breakdown and, like, making the mask come off. I, I did, I did, until the scene got weird... I did like the idea of Emma going to Snake and being like, Dad, I can't. Oh, I agree. That was great. And then it just got so fucking weird from there. Yeah, like, I don't know what was going on there. I don't know if it was just her acting was just not quite there. If it was just the way that the whole entire scene was structured. It was wacky because it's like, Sean's in there. Snake's trying to coerce information out of him. Emma runs in crying. Emma then focuses on Sean and trying to get him to, to say shit. And then, like, he leaves, and they, they, ooh, they're, like, back to, like, stone-faced. It was very weird. Like, and, but that was the other thing. Like, Sean and Snake, 
were having a good conversation, it felt like. Where they were, like, his snake was trying to, like, bring Sean out to talk to him. Mm-hmm. And it just, like, and then it get, gets changed up with this weird thing. Yeah. It's just a very, it was very odd. And because, and, like, I almost set the tone for me with Emma in being a very weird thing. Because it's just, like, I, I do kind of understand what they're trying to go for with Emma, where she has an emptiness that she feels, and she doesn't know how to fill it. And now she's just kind of, like, trying to see what will fill it. Um, but in the pro- it just kind of seemed like it was out of the writer's skill set. I think a lot of this episode came down to it was out of the writer's skill set. I think these are very difficult, nuanced conversations that I think that under certain circumstances, this writing team would have been able to bang it out. But for whatever reason, it's just like all of these components were happening. And I don't know if it was just like there weren't enough mentally ill people on the writing staff or what, but like it just kind of felt like everything kind of fell flat or it was just not quite flushed out. I think also, too, because it's the kind of thing where... Hell, I think you could have done a whole like a whole episode that's just Sean, a whole episode that's just Toby, a whole episode that's just Emma, a whole episode that's just Spinner. Oh, so we're going trying skins to like, here. Yeah, but like trying to like obviously that's not possible in you know this format of television show, but it's the kind of thing where it's like you know you kind of uh, I, like I, I don't know I related a lot to. Um, like deaths in comic books and when we get to see deaths in comic books and and a a big one that stands out to me always is is uh uh, iliana rasputin when she dies like she's been de-aged and she's like a little girl and she dies the legacy virus and we get to see like characters deal with that in different ways like kitty pride deals with it in a certain way and colossus her brother deals with it a certain way and so like I mean, these are characters that, in a similar way, we've hung out with them for issues and issues, episodes and episodes, you know. But they're given their own personal moments to handle these things, right? They're not just sort of, like, shoved together with other characters that may not have too much to really say. Like, I don't think that Jay really has anything to say about anything that happens. But, yeah, no, I I think that, yeah, you're right. The writing staff was not prepared to handle this. They, uh, it was a little outside their skill set. And, and also, too, I, I, you know, I guess in their defense a little bit, uh, and I don't even mean to defend them, but it's a thing that I, even at the time that they wrote this, they probably hadn't seen the aftermath of too often. Yeah. I, I think it's like a little, uh, again, kind of dark, but like it's almost a little easy for us to say today, oh, there are so many better ways to write this when it's like, Oh, right, because this happens, like, once a month. Even more. But, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's true. It's it's a really tough episode, because it's, like, I feel like there is a draft of it that's better. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, like, you feel that, like, there's pe- there's beats of this that were almost okay. I don't know, even then, the stuff with the jet ski was fucking weird. <laughs> It's so weird, because it takes, like, 30 seconds, and then he's drowning, and you're just like, okay. <laughs> like, all right. Like, he's, not, he's just doing, like, jet ski donuts, and then he's underwater. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> also, like, the reaction of Jay, Emma, and Ellie is very, like, no, odd. Nobody, nobody, nobody goes into the water. Nobody moves, nobody says, help, help. Yeah, like, like everyone's just staring. Yeah. 
But like, it's not even in like that anxious type of staring. Like it's not, or like a dissociative staring. Like literally all three of them are just lined up along the shoreline, just staring. Well, I think I can. Yeah, like they could, they could get buried alive in their, in their clothes, but they can't go into the water. Right. Okay, guys. Like, going back to what you said, Donnie, about like Sean just coming back to this town alone, like what if him and, like, um, the boy he got in the fight with, they just sat down and had a discussion. And just, yeah. and, uh, like, it would have been so good. It would have been so good. And it's just like, you know, it's fucking, like, heat. It's like the criminal and the detective just sitting down and, like, we both got our own shit, but, like, on a certain level, we understand each other. And that would have been good. Like, and, and it just would have been... I, I think that it would have been interesting if the first part of the episode was a lot of this, like, press, chaos. Sean's every Sean's always being talked to. Whether it's Ellie asking if he's okay, whether it's Snake asking if he's okay, whether it's the press giving him, you know, footage and qu- asking questions, blah, 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 blah. Make it, like, really blustery, really loud, really noisy. And then he's like, fuck it, I need to be alone. Takes the car, drives. Suddenly the, like, you know, just the whole mood of the episode is way more minimal, way more sparse, way more quiet. And it really lead, it can really lead to that, like, you know, a very almost like cinematic moment where you have him with the other boy sitting there. It's quiet. It's still. They finally speak. Yeah. And, like, Sean apologizes and, like, they make amends. Mm-hmm. And he comes back. Like... Yeah. Or not... Like, even like, if he doesn't, yeah, come, no, back, doesn't come back. Even if he doesn't come back. It, the way that they framed it throughout the series is... Regardless of if, like, he just can't go back there. Yeah. That is not home. That is a fucked up place that Sean cannot be in. And the fact that it's also, like, his childhood home is also, like, you're living in a trigger. Like, not only is it, like, you're with the people who were who abused you, but also you're in a space that, at one, like, did not seem to give you any comfort whatsoever. It doesn't seem to give you any comfort from now on. Right. And it's just, it's just this, this leap that I think happens in a lot of abuse narratives and, and I don't know how much of it is, and I don't want to speak ill of anybody um, or, like, assume people's experiences, but I think this is an unfortunate trope that happens in a lot of abuse narratives, this idea of, like, forgiving your parents because society has taught us that we should, regardless of the heinous things that they've done to us. Like, we've talked about one of the great joys of Degrassi is adults admitting, like, I fucked up. Right. Like, and it's just like, no, Sean's parents are terrible. Like, they l- abandoned their child for four years, and her his mom's like, this is the only way to keep you out of jail. What? Right. You mean juvie? But also, that's a conversation. There's a way to frame that, that Sean had to be taken out of that environment, right? The way that they made it sound, it sounded like Sean wanted to get the fuck out of there. It's not framed as Sean was forcibly like it, it it felt like yes he had to leave because of the circumstances but the way but sean seemed very willing about it we never seen sean like kind of wax poetics about going back home right and we never seen him talk about missing the beach we never really seen him talk about home much at all aside from when he was angry so it's like one of those things where it's like you know if this was, if you could have had this be like him being frustrated and upset that he's away from home and that he misses home, and as much as you know, as much as he can see that going to Degrassi and meeting all those people was a good experience at the end of the day, 
it was removing him from a place that he cared about. And and speaking of which, like this this episode's shittiness is like just overriding the fact that for the as far as I know, this is Sean's last episode. Like it's it's a very unceremonious send off. Yeah, because it sucks. Yeah, it's it's just a very unceremonious send off to a character who really never really reached his full potential. And like I feel like there are versions of this character that are so much better in media, both around this time period, current day. Like, there's just... It's a shame because I think the skeleton is there. I think the bones are there. And the Degrassi writers fumbled making it into much more time and time again. Yeah. Um, do, we have, anybody, do we have anything else to say about this episode? I mean, we kind of hit all the plot points on this one. We, we hit... Literally all of them just in slightly out of order. The, the, the one thing we haven't mentioned that I didn't like is after Sean watches his mom's interview, he th- you just cut to him throwing the TV out of the news van. Oh, yeah. That was good. That was pretty good. <laughs> and he's like, well, fuck, you're going! <laughs> so should I go to my, my rating? Yeah, I think we're, we're good. D minus. Yeah, fuck it. I'm getting an F. That tracks. Like, this episode sucked. I hated it. Like, this is worse than Drive. Like, and Drive was a fucking shit show. It's... I I thought that movie was okay. (laughs) You know, now that I I found out that Nicholas Winding Refn just hates women, like, it's... Does he? Oh, yeah. Like, Drive... I'm, well, I mean, Drive isn't much better. Like, you saw what happened to Christina Hendricks in Christina that. Hendricks does die, yeah. Like, in the most brutal fashion. But, like, Neon Demon is a nightmare. Fucking Only God Forgives is a pretentious, ass-crack-sniffing nightmare. Ooh. And now he has, like, this new thing with fucking Miles Tellier, who I hate. Mm-hmm. Um, is this the TV show one? Yeah. And it's just... Uh, see, I wanted to watch that because it's uh, co-written by Ed Brubaker, who I love. But I've heard only bad things about it. Woof. Well, it's Miles Taylor in it. Um, but it's just like... There's parts of Drive that are good, and like just... But everything else that goes from from Winding, Winding Refn does is terrible. So, yeah. I'm giving it a D-. minus. Um, character rankings? Yeah, character rankings. Um, Let her rip. Uh, everybody, Manny's on the rise. Paige is on the rise. Marco's on the rise. Snake is on the rise. Everybody else is just going down. Mm-hmm. Like, Sean... Eh, Sean's... It's hard. Yeah. I, I don't think there's a right answer in your ranking. I'm just gonna leave Sean where he is. Uh, Jay is fucking hitting the bottoms because of fucking making ableist jokes. JT uh, going down a step, not too much. Um, Danny, I don't care about. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Neither do the writers. But I'm no, it's true. Not, it's just the fact. I'm just reminded of what Donnie said. A musical number happens, and I feel nothing. Danny speaks, and I feel nothing. Right. I'm so glad that that tickled you as much as it did. Um, that reporter is going like going down a bunch of spots because she's just awful. Um, Craig, uh, I can understand his anger. He can stay where he is. 
Um, Toby going down for just only caring about himself. Mm-hmm. Um, Emma just being weird going down a step. Um, I think that's about it. Oh, Ellie. Ellie's a perfect angel. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I guess this goes on to recommendations, right? Uh, good. Yeah, Pierce, thank yeah, you. Yeah, we're two veterans, right? So, like, we <laughs> we don't got no opinions. This episode's bad. Bye. <laughs> Later. Oh, no, yeah, no. it's very bad. Um, that said, in terms of recommendations where we recommend things that are tangentially related, things that we're enjoying, et cetera, et cetera, I feel like whenever a Sean episode comes up, I do recommend Friday Night Lights. I know that that means that we're back to square one yes. in terms of our Friday Night Lights refs. But, like, I feel like if you if you need your your fill of damaged, like, trauma, traumatized white boy who doesn't always do the right thing, like, Riggins is a trip and a half and is way more engaging of a character. Um, I also feel like, I mean, we talked a little bit about it, but there is aspects, there are, like, times where this show kind of does some of the things that Degrassi tries to do with Sean, but in a more, in a better and more insightful way. Um, as always, my evergreen recommendation, I am still playing Fire Emblem Three Houses, and they're also talking about trauma a whole lot and how that manifests in different ways, and, and while it doesn't do everything perfectly, once again, if you need a traumatized white boy, Dimitri is right there. Um, but, like, there's, there's, this type of trope does happen, and we have not even talked about how this is an issue of a trope in this episode, because it does not diversify the face of mental illness, and it does not, um, allow, like, other people to see themselves in mentally ill characters. It feels like, kind of, like, you're just dumping all the, the PTSD on the white, white guy, um, which is a problem, but, um... If you need to see how this type of archetype plays out a little better, I do think Friday Night Lights is a recommendation for anybody. Um, but, yeah, it's just, this is a tough one, because I want to like Sean so much more than I actually do. And I feel like it's only because the writers bungle this shit every fucking time. But, um, Pierce, do you have a recommendation? Uh, I'm going to piggyback on the Friday Night Lights recommendation. I think that it is not a show without its problems, but mm-hmm. I do think that it hits some of these character archetypes a little bit better. I think because it has a slightly smaller cast um, and it has a stronger framing device than just kids in high school, um, there's like a little bit more purpose to some of their roles, uh, even if that is uh, manufactured by the like football elements of the uh, of the of the show, um, and, and I. I think a strength of it is that some of the adults are like bigger presences uh, in the show. And so it allows you to sort of, uh, I I think it just grounds the show differently. Um, Whereas I think Degrassi sometimes because all of the show, all the, the the leads are kids. Not that we don't have like, uh, you know, like snake and, and, and spike and, and, and Radich and, and some of the other adult characters, but you know, uh, Friday Night Lights, I think, tries to give a, a bit of a fuller picture of, like, the home lives of all of the kids mm-hmm. and who their parents are and families are and what that means. And um, and 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 in contrast to sort of the ableism of this episode, I, I, you know, uh, I think actually does some interesting things, especially for the time that it was out and actually even still now with having with having. Um, 
sort of discussions about about people who go through uh, sort of life changing injuries and things like that. Um, so I don't think it's a perfect show by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think it is uh, uh, worth a watch. Um, season two, kind of uh, notwithstanding, and also in the later seasons, you get some Michael B. Jordan, and you know that's, it's true. He's, he's always a, he's oh. always a joy. Um, and I love the I love the back half of that of that series. I think I really do love the the East Dillon Lion crew. I think they're <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, it's cool. It's a, it's a great show, and also the first two seasons I think have both. Oh no, I think it's just the first season has the uh, explosions in the sky soundtrack. So it's really, really, really good, mm-hmm. um, which I think adds to how much I love it. But anyway, uh, my hey, other recommendation is um, Chris Claremont's New Mutants, um, because I think in terms of superhero stuff since that's sort of my wheelhouse um i think new mutants because it's a bunch of basically high school kids who have to have uh, in a similar way to degrassi since next generation is sort of after the original degrassi right um you know uh, not that many people i'm sure are watching next generation because they watched the original show but there is sort of the specter of the previous show over next generation and so you have a bunch of new characters going through sort of similar trials and tribulations except you know they're younger now than than the cast that came before them and and uh they're also dealing with some some heavy topics and uh and uh while there's nothing uh as as much of a one-to-one comparison as like a school shooting episode they are superheroes so some of them die sometimes and things like that happen and uh or so it's again not a great one-to-one comparison, but if you want some teen melodrama um, that tries to do its best to deal with uh, heady subjects within the context of like a superhero universe, uh, I definitely recommend Chris Claremont's New Mutants. Nice. And that's uh, probably it. Yeah. And Frank, do you have a recommendation? Um, from the uh, found family angle, I'm gonna go with Shazam. Um, where I feel like they did the confrontation with the, uh, blood parent, the blood parents, real parents, I don't know what you call it, birth parents. Yeah, birth parents. Um, correctly. I like, I like blood parents. Blood parents. (laughs) Um, and. Blood parents. Sorry. He's just like, oh, yeah, uh, you don't want me, I'm gonna go back to my actual family. Um, and. Just bouncing off of the Friday Night Lights recommendation, I'm just gonna recommend Michael B. Jordan. I just think he's a rad dude. Oh, <laughs> I just yeah. think he's neat. <laughs> I, was, I was watching an interview he was doing, I think with GQ, where they're like, "What's your biggest weakness?" He's like, "Anime." Uh, I mean, women. <laughs> Mood. <laughs> Me too, buddy. Oh, both. To, to add to add one like related to this episode and to Michael B. Jordan recommendation, uh, fuck Max Landis, but. I really like Chronicle. The movie? Um, it's, a, it's a movie, and Michael B. Jordan's in it. And, uh, oh, it shit, that is, is Michael uh, B. Jordan. It is, it is angry white boy trope uh, of, like, Rick and sort of Sean taken to uh, an extreme. Uh, I think it came out in, like, 2012. 
but Michael B. Jordan's wonderful in it, okay. uh, and I think it is interesting. It does some interesting things. Again, not perfect, but interesting, and we're talking about Michael B. Jordan, so. Yeah, yeah, my thing with Chronicle is it does the zombie movie thing where nobody's ever heard of a fucking zombie, where, but they're like, nobody's ever heard of a fucking yeah. superhero. <laughs> Um, and also, like, I did like the fact that towards the end it gets very Dragon Ball Z of people yelling at each other in midair. It, it does sort of, like, lose the plot at some point. There's a reason Josh Trank doesn't really work anymore. But, um, <laughs> yeah. oh, and, well, there are other reasons why Max Landis doesn't work anymore. But, uh, yeah. No, it's not, it's not without its flaws. But I do like Michael B. Jordan in it. Yeah. Um... So. Yeah, I mean, all right, Pierce, you've made it through. Once again, is this my third or fourth time? Uh, this is the most Oregon Trail episode there is. I don't know if it's third or fourth, <laughs> but definitely that's true. I did, Sean, did Sean drinking? Did Christmas Craig? <laughs> uh, you did Marco, three, right? Marco, class president. This is your fourth. Oh. Yeah, this, wow, four? Damn. You're racking them up? Damn. Racking them up. Racking them up. I guests. can't wait to have done, I, I can't wait to have done 12 episodes, so I will have spent a day on this podcast. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> That's what we're going to start telling people if they do that. It's like, congratulations, you spent one day on I Hope Pod. Oh, God. How you made it through one day of Degrassi. How long have I spent on it? Like, you want to do the math? We can. I don't want to. Another time. <laughs> anyway, how can people continue the conversation with you, Pierce? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at P.E. Lightning. Um, that's really the main place I am publicly, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, you can try to add me on Facebook, but I generally don't add people. Um, yeah, Twitter is really the best way. Uh, my email is there if you need to email me for some reason. And... Uh, I don't really have any other things super going on right now that I can talk too much about. Um, my writing is all at newsarama.com for the most part. Um, I have a bunch of top tens and things that I do there, and I write reviews uh, two to three times a week as well on comics and stuff like that. I do movie reviews as well. So I'm sure I'll have like a Joker take in a couple weeks and a bunch of stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, um trying to think there's anything else uh, I got a new band I'll have a record out in early 2020 nice um, yeah yeah. That's, like, that's, all, that's all I got going on right now all good things um, if you want to keep in touch with the podcast there's a couple ways you can do it you can follow us on twitter at I hope pod or join our facebook group at I hope uh, I can make it through podcast um, feel free to also email us at I hope pod at gmail.com with any potential guest appearances, ways that Degrassi influenced you, any questions, comments, concerns, anything like that. We are definitely open to hearing hearing you and hearing from you. Um, also, we have our review challenge where once we hit 20 reviews, we're going to go back into the Degrassi archives and we're going to take a look at some Degrassi High, Degrassi Junior High episodes um, and give you some bonus episodes. We also have our coffee account where if we um, any donations that we receive go toward tech upgrades as well as compensating our guests. Um, so feel free to contact us, support us. Thank you, everybody, who has done so thus far. We really appreciate all the help that you have given, even if it is just letting us know about something, pushing our understandings about things. Um, it, for last week, we were given a very important reminder about um, about 
a school shooting that happened in Canada um, a while back, which we have retweeted on Twitter, so we encourage you to check that out and get informed if you did not know about it. Um, and little things like that that we have going on. We really appreciate everyone who has reached out and supported us and all that good stuff. If you want to talk to me personally, <laughs> you're going to have to th go, go through a whole lot of Fire Emblem fan art, but you can follow me on Twitter at, at DM is Unbreakable. I don't have a Twitter, but I do have another podcast called Teen Girl Talk. Um, this, we're in the middle of our last Snaping September. Um, uh, we just did Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, which I'm really, I'm not to my own horn, I've enjoyed the subtitles for this episode and the last one. This episode is, are we going to have to explain hentai to dad? Oh, and the last uh, last week's for Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix was um, Voldemort tried to kill Harry for his Air Jordans. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, I'm a big fan. Um, the uh, I have a YouTube channel that I'm going to start updating again, where I talk about comics and I talk about mental health and talk about weird erotic fan fiction I've written, uh, or I read weird erotic fan fiction I've written. Um, and I guess you want to follow my Instagram, I'm sorry, what challenge, you can see pictures of the Donnie's cats. It's true. But actually, no pictures of Donnie. <laughs> no, Donnie is not on it. However, cats are there. Oh, my YouTube channel is also sorry, what challenge. Um, that's it. Alright. Well, with that said, everybody, we hope we can keep making it through and that you're going to be there with us. See you next week. Later. Bye. Bye.